This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays. Except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays because Wing Tuesdays are half-priced Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-priced Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now. Special offer for new users, get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $25. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. This is the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss. And I'm with Yahoo Sports, Dalton Del Don. And Dalton, you have some topics you wanted to discuss, so uh, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, I'm going to throw a few at you. Um, they're going to be jumping around. But I want to start with the Warriors. Um, I saw that you tweeted at me that someone put Dalton on a suicide watch. I, I've avoided all media pretty much, especially Twitter, during this uh, epic collapse versus the Thunder but I have like notifications, so I get like texts when people that I follow um, tweet <laughs> so at you're me. Getting so those, you're getting you every time you're mentioned, you're getting a text in that whole conversation we had, and you were mentioned yes. on like thirty tweets. Oh, at least yeah, you and Pianowski, yeah. No, I I looked at my I had my phone on silent during the Warrior game, and then I looked at it, it was like thirty eight texts, and it was mostly from you guys um, involved in Twitter, yeah. Which um which was funny um and. Uh, you know, Pienowski brought up a great point in that, I, you know, I shouldn't, whatever, I should roll off this. I've been super spoiled. The Giants have won three of the last six World Series. Even now, the Giants are 13-1 and their last 14 games, and the, the Sharks made the first Stanley Cup Finals, and the Warriors won last season and all that. But, but you know, Pienowski also is, um, I don't think he, like, really lives and dies by the Red Sox and, and the Patriots. Um, and I do. I'm not saying that I that it's right. In fact, I think it's probably the wrong way of going about it, but... I would say I've watched 80 of the 82 Warrior regular season games from start to finish this year and have a couple friends that are the same way. And, and um, yeah, like, what, what is your opinion on a grown man, like, caring about a sporting – I mean, I know you, you – I mean, I think you're a New York Giants pretty, pretty, pretty into them, but not so much the Yankees these days. But, I mean, I made my daughter cry in the other room. I was yelling so much. <laughs> and that, that you're a monster. Forward. 
that really did bring some perspective. And I and I brought her in for the second half, and I tried to <laughs> tried to she calm down. Scared. That's so. Funny. And I I bet money on the Thunder before the series because I just thought the odds were just stupid, and so I will win like close to a thousand dollars if if and when the Thunder win this series, but. Frankly, that means nothing to me. Um, I, um, I've been kind of an emotional wreck, and this has really bothered me how the Warriors have played. And, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on someone, you know, caring so much about a, a team like this? See, Pianowski uses the example of the Patriots losing the 18-0 and season to the Giants on an incredibly close game where they had, you know, they would have been the combination of the Bears, who are considered the greatest team of all time by a lot of people, and the Dolphins. They would have had the undefeated and the greatest ever in one team. So there were huge stakes, but he didn't, didn't bother him that much. And I actually think, and he said he was way more depressed after uh, the Red Sox loss in 2003 to the Yankees. But I kind of think it's because he's more of a Red Sox fan than a Patriots fan. I don't think it's that he's not into his teams. I just think for whatever reason, you know, he's a Patriots fan, but he's also just an NFL. He's covered the NFL for a long time. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I kind of think he's never really lived and died with the Patriots, but maybe more the Red Sox, at least at one time. Well, I think. Hold on, but part of his point there is that the Red Sox hadn't won in forever then, right? That's what Was I mean, that, but I mean, I think he's ascribing it to them never having won, but right. maybe the reality is he just cares more about the Red Sox, period. So it was more devastating because it was the Red Sox instead of his football team. I'm now, again, I'm putting words in his mouth, but he, I remember when, you know, he was writing for Rotowire, like he was a Patriots fan, but he wasn't like a crazy rah rah Patriots fan. He never, I don't remember him going out of his way to draft Patriots players. I don't remember. I don't think he was that. I think he was more neutral. I, that's my opinion. I mean, we obviously just bring him on a podcast and ask him. He'll tell us. But so, so that may be part of it. But see, for me, like, you know, I'm a crazy huge Giants fan. I used to be a huge Knicks fan and Yankees fan. I still root for those teams. But really, like, the Yankees, once when they won the World Series in 2009 with Sabathia and Burnett and Tashira, they signed the three biggest free agents, won the World Series. I was kind of like, this is bullshit. You know, it's like, okay. We just spent all the money and got all the best players. It's like if we were in a fantasy league and I was playing with $500 and you had 260 and I just right. bought Trout, Harper, Kershaw, and, and I won. It'd be like, you know, am I really a great fantasy player? No, it'd just be because I had more resources. It just seemed like that, at least in 2009, and I got a little less into it. I was really into their run. You know, it was mostly homegrown, and they signed free agents around it. The Jeter, you know, Rivera, um, Posada, Pettit run. And I think there's something to be said for – having the greatest team of all time. I think that's like a really big deal. And I, I totally get why you'd be bummed if they lost. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Um, a couple things. A, and, been on like- and I do think it's cool to be a grown man who acts like a child about his teams because, you know, we all got into sports be- that way, right? We all, that's like everybody's first encounter with sports is like being a naive fan as a kid. And to the extent that you get so savvy and sort of, Inside baseball about it, you know about the way the owners are making money and the teams will move to a different city if they can't extort city out of a to get a new stadium and the taxpayers. Knowing all that and knowing that players try to get the most money and they'll leave if they can get more money elsewhere, you kind of lose that and, and you get jaded, but there's something nice about being super into it. So I think if you can maintain that while knowing all those things, then good for you. Yeah, no, part of me is embarrassed, but the other part of me is like, it would be sad if I didn't care as much as I used to. So I am glad that I'm not jaded and I still do, you know, arise these emotions. And um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for it. Screw it. I, um, I've actually been on like a, a cleanse the last month and haven't drank any alcohol for about a month now. And um, I think I'm going to have to self-medicate for tonight's game, though. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I, I, I can't handle the stress 
And I will, I will go on record also saying this. If they somehow win tonight and somehow win game six, uh, there will not be a price in which I will not pay to go to game seven. Oh, I see. There's, there's no amount of money game seven could cost that would keep you away from it. I will be at game seven. Uh, mark my, my words right now. If, the, if that happens to take place, I will be there no matter the price. Okay. I'm trying to think of what price point would actually deter you because there is one. <laughs> well, yeah. 50, <laughs> That's true, 50 grand probably, a ticket, you're not going. Yeah, I probably can't afford fifty grand a ticket. That's that's true. That that is a correct statement. But I, I don't think it's going to. You be are very wealthy, so you might be able to scrape. I'm not very wealthy. Yes. I'm not very wealthy. But I um I not uh, after I have, last football yeah. season. You're not. You used to be. That's right. That's right. Not after last football season. All right. So enough Warriors talk. Um, I can't believe this has happened. It's it's pretty crazy. We talked about it on XM today, but it's just, uh, uh you know, a baseball series in the playoffs doesn't matter how many wins a regular season. Anything can happen. It just matters what who's pitching that day. Football even can can be you know just one game, but a seven game series in the NBA, it is pretty crazy. A team that won eighteen fewer games in the regular season just looks so much better. And um, yeah, Curry's banged up. I do not believe he's healthy. But all excuses aside, the Thunder have just flat out outplayed them, and it's been it's been very frustrating to say. Yeah, but you know, there's something there's something weird about it because these blowouts are not normal. Like normally, like when the Knicks played the Bulls in the 90s, right? And I was a huge Knicks fan, and Jordan was such a douche, and every time anyone touched him, and there'd be a foul, and he'd cry and whine, and the rest would fall for it. But those were wars. Those were down to the last second. I mean, Ewing would yeah. hit his shot, Jordan would hit his shot, then they'd go back and forth, and finally Ewing would miss, and Jordan would hit, and the Bulls would pull away at the end. But they were, they were nail-biters the whole time. And same when they played the Pacers. And every time these sort of big slugging-out teams, and maybe it was because the style was way more – you know, grab and clutch and foul and, you know, big men. And it was just a much more physical, slower game. But they were all close, right? And so you feel like, yeah, we were almost as good, but you could see they were better. They had the guy that just couldn't be stopped in crunch time when they needed that extra bucket. And these games, I don't even feel like I'm getting a sense of who's better. I mean, obviously the Thunder are better, but, like, who's in the margin by which they're better or how they're winning. They're just – it's just such a blowout that you, you, it's not even like a – they may as well be playing the Sixers. You know, why – it could be the Warriors in that game or it could be the Sixers. What's the difference? They're not going to lose by more than 30. No, you're right. I mean, obviously, Thunder deserve a ton of credit, and it's really weird that Steven Adams is, you know, suddenly a star, and he's making all his free throws, and Curry missed two free throws, the best free throw shooter in the game last last game. And um, uh, the game one was close, and then all the, the, the rest have been – relative blowouts and even the Eastern conference finals has been, you know, not very watchworthy either. And it's been tough for the fans. And, and you're right. The, the Thunder are not getting the Warriors a game. They're they're Again, they're causing part of the problems and their right. small ball lineup is great. And they, they have their own death lineup now and hell, they go small and they have a guy with a seven foot wingspan creating problems. And, and Draymond Green's terrified to shoot a wide open shot. And Andrew Bogut's apparently not really interested in playing basketball. He fouls out in five minutes and it's just very frustrating all around. They're getting the Warriors not even C game. They're getting their like D minus game. So that's what I mean. I'm, so what does it I show? Get knocked out if they get knocked out tonight or whatever game six. I'd at least like them to go down swinging and, and, and at least play well. I hear exactly what you're saying. I mean, let's say the, the Warriors for some reason needed to take a break. They all decided to find the Lord, walk the earth, and we so they had to sub in a different team. And they said, all right, we'll just sub in like the Rockets for this series. I mean, it would be closer. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying they would win, or the, the Rockets are probably a bad example because they get, yeah, they're, yeah, they have they're no bad heart, example. But I know exactly what you're saying. But, but let's exactly. just you know, let's just sub in the Miami Heat for the series, right? right. It would just be so much closer, right? I mean, well, the Trailblazers are a great example because yeah, they the play, Blazers, 
right? Yeah, they Let's say they played in the series. There's just something not right. So I don't really – to say, well, they're 17 games better, but it's not reflected in the series, it doesn't really cover it because we're not getting that team. We're getting some weird – something weird is happening. And I don't know what's wrong with Steve Kerr or why they can't just play basketball. They don't have to play their A game where Clay, – well, Clay Thompson was playing his A game, but where everybody's yeah. hitting every shot and – but, yeah, but how about their B game? <laughs> that would right. be a nice I mean, a good, right, a good team, it's just like a good pitcher in baseball, right? So they're not always have the A-plus stuff, but you get an ace out there and he's a little off, he still gives up two runs, strikes out seven, walks two. That's like, you know, that's an ace. This is like the ace getting shelled three games, you know, three out of four yeah. games. Yeah, throwing five miles per hour less than he normally does, too. I right. mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, so not, it's, it's not representative. Not at all. No, it's, it's very frustrating. And, um, yeah, I have, I have no explanation whatsoever. And um, yeah, it's pretty um, pretty devastating for me. But um, I hope they win in some ways for you because I know you're an earnest fan and I respect that. But man, the podcast is so much better if they lose. So I, I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> divided. But we'll we'll see what happens the next week. All right. Okay. All right. All right. My next topic will be much shorter. Is um, have you? I know you've heard of it. Um, a tweeter uh, tweeted at us a ghost riding discussion. But um, ghost riding. No, no. Um, the show Horace and Pete by uh, Louis C.K. I saw one clip from one show, and it was really good. It was these two dudes at a bar. I think it was Horace and Pete, and they yes. were just excoriating yes. Hillary Clinton, I'm pretty sure. And it was really good. And then there was like a Trump guy. I can't remember. Yeah, so it's like cheers but realistic. Right. And um, wow, bar really is. And, um, yeah, that, that person tweeted at both of us because I think it was reflective of our – political discussion in which you always take control of. And I'm kind of, you know, reluctant to, to join in. And uh, anyway, it's the best uh, written show. I've Wait, which, per, which person tweeted at us? I can't remember who, who it was, but it was just someone that listened to this podcast. Oh, and, and it, was reminded of that bar. Basically, exactly. Bar scene. exactly. Right. right. So this show is written by a uh, Louis CK and um, it's basically a play. Um, one, one episode. Uh, first of all, you have to buy it and it, um, you can only watch it online. So that's, probably a hindrance to most people, but I can't recommend it enough. Great acting. And again, it's, it's basically like a play. And uh, one episode opens with um, a person talking for a, telling a story for 12 minutes straight without the camera cutting. And you don't even know whom she is speaking to until after her story is done. Uh, there's another clip with the best uh, transgender discussion that I've ever seen. It's just so, so smart. It's very dark, very depressing. There's some funny moments involved, but I cannot recommend Horace and Pete enough. It's the best show I've watched on television uh, this year and maybe in the last few years. Just super, super smart. Louis C.K. is a genius and, uh, again, can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it's funny because he's really good stand-up, but Heather was watching his show. She was having trouble because it was too depressing. It wasn't that it wasn't yeah. funny. It's just like even his character is like so depressed. <laughs> it's, it's not unrealistic, but it's just funny. How, I mean, I don't mind that as much, but she was having trouble with it. No, it's dark, and this is yeah. super depressing, yeah, no, too. I'll, I'll check it out for sure. I'll check it out for sure. And it's slow at times, but, man, the, the reward it's just 10 episodes, and the reward you get, it, it, it pays off. Uh, there's some slow parts, and so, it's not for everyone. I, I got one thing for you. I know you got maybe one more thing for me, but I'll just give this to you right okay. in between. Go the, I got a Facebook message, and I'm bummed the guy never got back to me. But And it was like a month. It's probably because like it took me a month to respond to him because I don't really check Facebook messages. Um, he's some guy who lives on like an island in Canada, and for some reason he hears our he listens to our podcast. He was saying a bunch of stuff, how he's interested in Rotowire and all this stuff, and he heard the Jonah podcast of how Rotowire works. And he also agreed with me that your friends and family team sucked. <laughs> I was like, he was like saying all this stuff, and then he's like, and by the way, I even thought at the beginning, Joe, uh, Dalton's team sucked. 
I think I am currently maybe in last. Yeah, and uh, well, Brandon yeah. Funston never even does any moves, so that's bad if I if I finish. Um, and remember the bet we have. I mean, I you understand? I may win the league. Barons is in first right now, but my uh, categories are under. They're underrepresented because I have the most strikeouts per inning, but I'm like 50 innings behind on the pitching. And, of course, I will catch up. And I'm going to win strikeouts and be very close to the top in wins. So there's probably seven or eight points that, I'm, that are not reflected in the standings for me. So I'm more at like 74, not 67, which is like more like second place. And so, remember, it's a very expensive loss for you if, if I do end up winning it. Yeah, there's a lot of time left. There's some teams, uh, including a very expensive NFBC team, that I've just suffered so many injuries that I've just basically just – I just want to, you know, start a lineup to not, you know, be uncompetitive the rest of the league, and, uh, but I've given up as far as there. But I actually like this team and the other friends and family, so I'm not giving up. Uh, D. Gordon will eventually return, and I don't know, Matt Harvey I own. I think uh, – I don't know what to make of him at this point, but – um. Uh, no, I'm not giving up on that. We'll, we'll see. But yes, uh, I'm very aware of our bet, and um, still, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't know. I wouldn't count myself out. I got Arod returning to the lineup tonight, so that might change everything. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I've got a lot of guys returning too. I've got Darvish coming this week. Oh, Michael man. Brantley, nice. who knows when, but probably soon. Buxton, I think, is coming up. I picked him up. I got what's his name? Uh, Julio Urias just got called up. I have him. You have uh, him too. Yeah, I have. Uh, I picked up Blake started. Snell. I the whole thing. I thought the, we might as well talk about him. I thought the whole thing was they're going to use him in um, you know middle relief, but if he becomes a starter, wow! I mean, you know, he was born. Guess what year he was born in? Yeah, something like nineteen ninety eight or something. How? What year? Oh, not that extreme, but yeah, ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. What two thousand five? You know, he's born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's going to ball. No, okay, wow. That's, that's yeah, Well, I mean, you're fearing him. I actually picked him up because I thought he was going to relieve too, and I actually prefer uh, him being a relief pitcher and just killing people for two innings at a time and being there the whole time. But whatever. I, I got Blake Snell, who I think will be yeah. in the rotation sooner rather than later. And I've got – I picked up Carlos Gomez that somebody dropped. I mean, he might be done, but I don't know, man. I You know, you look at all these articles. Steve Gardner wrote an interesting one about Prince Fielder, how bad he's been, Matt Kemp, you know, Justin Upton, all the guys that have just – completely collapsed this year and I, I still think that you know out of the five or six worst hitters that you paid big bucks for four of them are gonna bounce back Puy got benched for his lack of hustle I have him yeah I know you have I mean I hope he does well it's not enough to salvage your team anyway and I have him in a lot of other places I did not realize Gomez was flat out dropped that's you might as well stash him on your DL yeah he's on the DL and on the DL spots I've got the other guys coming back so, yeah, I don't know, man. It's been a really weird year for me. This is just – I'm not having a great year. Last year I had a great year. This year there's just too many guys that I went all in on, like Buxton, that not like that was an expensive pick, but it cost me something, and I'm still waiting for him to come back. Brantley, and we, we went over that last week. And then the other guys, Puig, and they're all just been really bad. I have a decent amount of fielder. And, and it's just a weird year because I don't remember this many good hitters not getting hurt but just being terrible for this long, this many of them. And then also the aces had been so reliable the last, you know, five years or so. And there's just a lot of aces doing badly. This is more like, you know, 2003 again, where you, you knew that half the aces were going to just completely bust. And it's, it's only May still, but man, there's, you know, you look at Harvey. I, I did a little poll on Twitter. It was Harvey, Keichel, and Sonny Gray. And I said, you know, I'm not saying you think these guys are going to bounce back, but which is the most likely to bounce back? And what are the, the results? The results were most people liked Harvey the best. Gray was in the middle, and then Keuchel was the least. <laughs> no, people had truly given up on him. 
Yeah, well, Gray's now on the DL, so I don't know what to make of that. But it's pretty tough for uh, currently the league we're talking about. I'm in last place, and I drafted Noah Syndergaard and David Ortiz. So that's especially impressive that I've uh, well, you drafted hit. Harvey, right? That was Correa right. has been a total bum since the first week. Yeah, and D Gordon was my second round pick. Yeah, and that's, that pick explains and, it. They, you know, and League and um, yeah. Well, you know who's going to carry my team now off the DL? Who should be talked about in a fantasy podcast is Cameron Maven. What a oh, yeah. stuff. I had him. I dropped him. You picked him up. I, I have him in a couple places. He's been going crazy, and you know he's going to be leading off with Kinsler banged up. Maybe Kinsler comes back and he hits sixth or something. But it's a it's a good lineup, and he's stealing bases. Which, you know, the, the Tigers don't run that much. You know, even right, Rajay right. Davis and Anthony Ghost didn't run that much last year, but they're giving him the green light, and so it's a good place to hit. Yeah, definitely. All right, so can I go to my third topic? Because I'm going to switch it up. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, All right, I want to. Uh, so I don't um, ever draft. This actually won't practically matter to me whatsoever. The scenario I'm going to give you because I will not draft a quarterback in the first seven rounds or so. Right. But I did find this interesting ranking of QBs, and it'll come down to accuracy rankings and all that stuff, and maybe readers will care. Um, so first of all, do you have a Cam Newton as your clear number one quarterback? It seems to me like it's just too. It's too simple to just be like, well, he was clearly the best last year, so he must be number one. But I, I number one, yeah, he's my top quarterback. Okay, just I mean, I guess when you rush for ten touchdowns and you get Kelvin Benjamin back, and he had no receivers last year. I, I mean, prime of his career, the YPA jumped up. So, so yes, you, no question. I mean, it's not. It wasn't a no brainer. It was just I did the projections right, and when you give him, I don't know, to give him six or seven touchdowns, probably rushing. And then you give him the passing touchdowns, knowing that Benjamin's back. Not that Benjamin has even established himself as even a good receiver. We don't right. know. He's the only game <laughs> he in was town. terribly inefficient, right? With his rookie year, and he dropped. Well, he's a rookie, but he dropped a lot of passes that that contributed to the inefficiency. He's just big. He's really big. We don't really know, but he, he had nothing last year, so it can't hurt, and it could really help. And Newton just seemed to be. He, they did have a really easy schedule though last year, and they have a much harder schedule this year, like much harder. They're facing the, uh, I think they're facing the AFC West and the NFC West. So he had a lot of cupcakes, you know, the out-of-division games. And so that's going to change. Right. And it is just kind of funny, though, right, that he'd been in the league four years and he was, what, entering last year, like, you know, I don't know, what, eighth or something on everyone's board. And now he's just universally number one. Well, he, he was number one before. A few, you know, when he first came in the league, he was a top three or four quarterback for a year or two. I mean, the year before last year, he had 18 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. It's just kind of funny that he's just now universally. But, I'm, again, he's, he's number one on my board, too, and I love the, yeah. the rushing stats it's and not, all that. It's and not it, like I gave, him, uh, I gave him eight rushing touchdowns, 29 passing touchdowns, 3,977 yards. Sure. Okay. All right. Number two on your board. Who is it? Aaron Rodgers. Okay, me too. So he's just whatever. Jordy Nelson back. You think I mean, that the quarterbacks are really tricky? But I bet you think that it's like, oh, I can rank any of these guys anywhere. Okay, I'll just rank them as best I see fit. And when I, we did the mock for Rotowire, they basically went in the order that I had them, with the exception of one player that everybody's lower on th- than me. But it was just, I was like, wow, it's going exact. I thought I was being original with these ranks, but I'm not. So Rodgers is number two. Okay, me too. 6.7 YPA last year is one of the craziest stats, I would say, in sports in the past five years. That, that's just bizarre. And he still turned that into 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions. It, it would be and- as if Miguel Cabrera hit like 240 one year in a full season. Yeah, maybe even lower. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I agree with you. Okay. So, and then I think Ben Roethlisberger is probably number five, I would say. And then it, then it drops off. I mean, no Martavis Bryant is no, always I, hurt. I, I so. have him outside. I have Roethlisberger six, but I would have him higher, except that you got to kind of dock him for being hurt. 
Like he, right. who do you have fifth in? I'm curious because my main Bortles. question: Bortles is the guy nobody likes oh, as much. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I love Bortles, and the interesting thing with him is everyone says that their defense is going to improve, and he got all his stats compiled in a garbage time. But um, I'm fine with that. He okay. runs, and I like right. both receivers. And who knows if they can if they can so, run the ball? So I'm fine. Uh, that's interesting, though. That is interesting okay. to me. But, but you got to understand, like Roethlisberger gets dinged because he doesn't run at all. He gets no rushing touchdowns, so it's all passing. And you just got to project him for to miss a game and a half or something more than yes. the average quarterback. He just gets hurt so much, and he's taken such a beating in his career. And no Martavis Bryant. Now Ladarius Green's got some problem, although maybe he'll be ready for the start of the season. It's not great. I actually like Sammy Coates as like a sleeper. So he's sixth, but I have Bortles fifth. But my top four, and I bet yours are exactly the same order, is Newton. Well, no, Rod- hold on, hold on. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Coates or uh, Marcus Wheaton? I have Wheaton ahead of him just because I think he's going to get a hundred targets, but Coates is kind of a, you know, if, if you're late in your draft and you're just sort of gambling, Coates has more upside. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that go ahead. Continue what you're about to say, but the main point of my bringing up the quarterbacks was my question. Whom do you rank third and fourth Wilson or luck? I have Wilson third luck fourth. Okay. Interesting. Me too. All right. Yeah, I uh, told you you'd have it exactly like me. It just ends up being this way. When you look at it, it's like Wilson, you just don't know that they're going to open it up the way they did last year. You just can't really right. know that. Right. Um, and, but you know, there's a lot of rushing yards. So you get that and you add it up and it's very, it's going to be very efficient. Rogers, he's pretty much himself. He's going to get some rushing yards and then luck is going to, I may have luck to, I only have, I gave him 590 attempts, which is a lot, but it may even be more. I mean, their top running back is Frank Gore, who's 33 uh, yes. years old. Like I love the Colts passing him. I should maybe even move luck up because Moncrief Hilton and Philip Dorsett and Dwayne Allen, who gets hurt a lot. That's it. That's all they got. They got four targets. They got Frank Gore, who doesn't catch passes. They got Robert Turbin. I mean, they don't have any running. And they're going to throw their D is not going to be that good. Man, I mean, Luck may throw 700 passes. Uh, Dwayne Allen, by the way, is going to catch double-digit touchdowns this year. And he's, he's going to be if the healthy, best value. He's always he's, hurt. Yeah, he's, yeah, that's true. But he's going to be the best value at tight end. And, and I, my- I've landed on him in a couple of mocks already. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just take Dwayne Allen. All right, so that was my main question, Wilson versus Luck, because Luck was was my number one QB on the board entering last year. And, you know, not only did he get hurt, but, I mean, he had 12 interceptions and 6.4 YPA. He wasn't very good even. I think he was playing injured. Um, And then, meanwhile, Russell Wilson, what do you have, 25 touchdowns, two picks in the the second half in eight games? I mean – 8.6 8.6 YPA. I mean, he was awesome. And I, we've, we've gone over Doug Baldwin before in this podcast, but, but um, yeah, that, so that was my debate. And like I said, neither of these guys lend up on my team because I wait on quarterback and it's deeper as deep as ever. But um, okay. You agree with me. I have Wilson slightly ahead of luck, but I could see the argument either way. Yeah. On my projections, it's like two points at the end of the season. I mean, it's, okay. it's nothing. So uh, I want to talk about Drew Brees, which is just such an interesting case. Drew Brees, if you were to double his home stats last year, He would have thrown 46 touchdown passes because he had 23, two rushing touchdowns, and 5,700 passing yards, thanks in part to the New York Giants defense last year. But But that's that's normal, right? That's normal-ish for him. But the thing is, you got to realize, if you take Breeze in, like, the seventh round and then you just wait and take, like, Kirk Cousins or Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston or whoever, Phillip Rivers, in, like, the 10th or 11th, you've got the number one quarterback. Yeah, just nine touchdowns, six interceptions on the road. Like, yeah, like he's you, not good. You have got – if you take Breeze at home and then anybody decent for his road starts, unless he's playing like the worst pass defense in the league, 
Right. You have the number one quarterback. Now you got to use two roster spots for it. So that's something. It depends, you know, in the NFBC, it's a no brainer, um, especially right. where rushing and passing touchdowns count the same. I mean, I think Breeze is as valuable as Newton pretty much because you've got a 10 man bench. You know, it's not that tight on the roster spots. And you do have to use another pick on somebody, you know, in round 12 or whatever. Right, but you don't have to take as high a pick to get him. Right, you don't have to take nearly as high a pick to get him. And Newton's rushing touchdowns aren't getting you those extra two points in the NFC. Right. Because it's six points per passing touchdown. And you're getting <laughs> – you're going to get like a ridiculous – you're not going to get, you know, 46 touchdowns because you get 23 at home or whatever it is. And then you're going to get the normal 15 it, wherever the guy's playing, he'll be at home and on the road, depending on, you know, Breeze's road starts aren't going to coincide with anybody's specific home road starts. Whatever their half season is, you're going to get Rivers, and you're going to get 15 more touchdowns. So you're getting 38 TDs um, from a, you know, a seventh-round or a sixth-round quarterback and, like, an 11th-round quarterback. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, even he has um... – uh, what, what the new tight end from the Colts? What's Fleener, his face? Yeah, Fleener's yeah, yeah, Fleener there and to help him out. Michael and, Thomas um, is a rookie. That's going to be another big target. Love, so. uh, love Cooks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, the rookie Thomas. And um, yeah, no, that I like that strategy quite a bit. He uh, and no one wants Breeze either, as far as like he's old, you know, and everyone kind of wants the next big thing. So I, I think that the that's home road a, splits are so strategy. good, though. I mean, it's just such yeah. a good and no one thinks that is good. Football. No one thinks of that in fantasy football either. You know, I mean, that's a. That's a rare strategy. I mean, everyone knows Coors Field and baseball or whatever, but home road splits for a quarterback is probably very rarely utilized. Now, I wonder if it applies for his receivers too, where like, you know, Cooks you're going to use, but the Willie Sneeds and Michael Thomases or Fleener, right, right. you only use at home too. I mean, it's just, it's a very simple math equation. However many pass, touchdown passes the QB has is the sum total of the amount of receptions the receivers are going to have. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I'm on board with that, so... So, yeah, but are you with me? Um, I mean, it's not exactly uh, – that's why I kind of like super flex leagues and two quarterback leagues because it's almost just so obvious. It's like I'm tired of even just saying wait on quarterback because it's just like really? I mean, no shit, you know? I mean, it's just so – like quarterback is just so ridiculously deep. I, I just don't understand why anyone would spend a top five-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I think you start getting in the fourth and fifth. I, I'm doing my Rotowire 150 for the magazine, and I think I have Newton like 60th. You know, like, okay, right, it's right. pick 60 I'm just going to do it. I'll be the sucker that takes the QB. But he's not like 30th, which was where I used to have those guys. It's just like, okay, pick 60. If everyone keeps pushing it, I'll take him. I think I have him right next to Greg Olson, just for a point of reference. Sure. 60, I can't blame you. But I agree with you. It must be around there. Right. And I'm, I'll be the guy to do it if nobody wants to do it. It's just so deep, though. I mean, when, you, when Eli's my number 13, when Rivers is 14, when Brady, because of the suspension, is number 20 on the projections, but you know he's a top 10 guy. Palmer, because of injuries, is number 16. But who cares? If he gives you eight good games, gets hurt, you can always just pick someone up. So, And I know this is obvious, but Brady, you know, this isn't a rotisserie league. I mean, you, you just got to make the playoffs. So Brady really should be yes. treated as, you know, I mean, you, you just got to go whatever, two and two those first four games. I mean, you could pick up anyone. Play the matchups even. You don't even need to back them up with a Tyrod Taylor or Derek Carr. I mean, you could just play the matchups even and then, you know, make the playoffs and you have Brady. So, so yeah, I mean, the position is just – just begging you to, to wait. You got anything else for me? No, that was basically it. Um, what do you think? Uh, I'll ask one. What do you think of RG3? What, where do you have Griffin ranked? I'm curious. I mean, ranked is low. He's. I'm looking at my list. I have him below Kaepernick, but I might flip-flop that because it looks like Kaepernick is not necessarily going to be the starter. Um, so then I would have him below Sanchez. 
the thing is, projections, though, don't really mean anything. These are projected base rankings, so I can't project Griffin for a full season. You know, I just can't. I have to give him 344 attempts, um, whereas Sanchez I'm projecting for 455 attempts. So that's the only reason he's behind Sanchez. On a per-play basis with the rushing yards, he's ahead of him. And in a real draft, I'd probably, I would take him ahead of Bridgewater. I would take him ahead of Osweiler. You know, I'd probably take him around 24th or something because who cares? If he sucks, I'll just drop him. It's not a big deal. And there's upside. But I, I've thought that the last three years, you know, less and less each year. But even last year, I was like, you know what, Griffin, who knows? And then I watched the preseason game, and he was just getting sacked so many times, and he had no pocket awareness. And I've described it as one of those horror movies, those low-budget horror movies where the guy with the chainsaw is coming or whatever. And the victim, instead of doing something smart, like crawls, like hides in like a tiny little closet where there's no escape. And the guy comes in and just chops her to pieces. That's what the victim goes into the spot. And that's sort of how RG3 is playing quarterback. He was just basically standing around, unable to release the ball, and just waiting for the defense to collapse on him and kill him. And I was like, he's a broken man. I, he, I, I realized right then, like, this is not ever going to happen. Now, maybe it, with a new, you know, in a new situation, a new system, and if, uh, keep your fingers crossed, Josh Gordon, dangerous criminal that he is, uh, gets reinstated for having trace amounts of marijuana in his blood, maybe that'll help. They were teammates at Baylor, and that could be a big deal. But I'm, I'm skeptical that, that RG3 can uh, be resurrected. Yeah, I want to bring up one more thing, and I'll let you pontificate about politics after this. You bring up a great point about uh, projections versus rankings. I talked about this with Andy Barons on the Yahoo Fantasy Freak Show uh, podcast last week um, because he said, I have a Doriel Green Beckham ranked much higher than he did. And I said, yeah, I have him like 38th or something. I'm like, his floor is much lower than, say, even teammate, you know, Kendall Wright, who actually he's battled injuries last couple years, but – um, it's tough to do projections and rankings. I, I just said, you know, after, you know, the top 35 wide receivers, I just kind of swing in for the fences, a guy who could go off. Like, you know, he could be always a big guy with a high pedigree. Maybe he does go crazy. But there's a difference between actual, like, rankings where I think that they're most safest to finish versus where I would draft them. Does that make sense? Of course. I, I mean, I don't – it's a real pain to do the projections because those are functioning as our cheat sheets. And I've got to sort of push the guys I like beyond like straining the possibility of their projection. Like Tom Brady's only playing 12 games or unless it gets turned over on appeal again. Right. And so I've got to push him to like 28 TDs in 12 games, 29. Right. I can't push it any harder than that. He's still the 20th QB because his yards are low. I can't give him 32 TDs and 4,200 yards in 12 games. I just can't do it by based on any sensible projection, but it's going to ruin his ranking so that it's not accurate in terms of where you draft him. So you know, it's just a problem when you're making projections-based draft uh, software. But if you want things to be customizable where you can say, okay, 14-team league with three receivers or two receivers or this, it all has to be numbers-based. You can't just have – you can't create a separate list for every single customizable possibility. So it has to be based on numbers, um, and you get into a little bit of a problem. I, you know, Doriel Green-Beckham, I have him at the 40th receiver. I gave him uh, 57 catches for 878 and 7. He could have 300 yards and be a hamstring problem and never really get the system where he could catch 12 touchdowns. I mean, it's right. go either way. Um, there's one guy I actually want to ask you about, and I, I have one more topic I just remembered that's, that's really interesting to me, but, uh, and it's Torrey Smith because yeah. I was do, finalizing my receiver rankings to submit for the magazine, and you know, I don't look at anyone's stuff, and I'm not like 
so into every little football piece of news in March and stuff like that. So I do the research and I do it my own way. But then I think, you know, let me just get a reality check just in case I'm like screwing something up. I don't want to give bad information. I mean, I've done the research, but you know, I'm just Googling stuff. It's not like that rigorous. So I checked out the fantasy pros site just to see where sort of the, uh, the guys rank them. And I'll like highlight five writers that I trust, you know, and, and just do theirs. Of course, you're not one of them, but, uh, Five. Random. I'm just kidding. I, I include you in the rankings, but the point is I looked at like where I had outliers and I had a bunch, but Tory Smith, I have at 36 and they had it like 70 something. Mm. I could not believe it. I was like, really? So then I like looked again and then I realized I shouldn't have even looked, but I looked again and I did some more research and, and come on, Bolton's not there. And Tory Smith is there. And I don't really, I don't get it. I just tell you, are the Niners guy. I just don't get it. Torrey Smith is going to get 100-plus targets. I have him on 115 targets. If he gets 115 targets, he's going to catch seven touchdowns, and he's going to get close to 1,000 yards on 115 targets because he's a big play guy. I just don't see, I just don't see the other side of it. I don't, why is the whole industry ranking this guy in the 70s? Well, I'm in between, actually more so toward you. I have him 47th, I'm looking right now, right? Sandwiched between Josh Doxson and Jeff Janis, guys with – who knows? Total upside. I mean, and, and, are you kidding me? Jeff Janis may not even he may not even get ten targets this year. That is absolutely true. But um, I don't think Torrey Smith's going to win anyone in their league where where Jeff Janis. Oh, well, could. you're just ranking him in like how to draft. I'm saying a projection though, because these. Oh, absolutely. Torrey Smith's projection should be higher. Yes, no, no question. Yeah, I mean, that. drafting is a whole different thing. I still think Torrey Smith can be useful in a three receiver. That's, that's what I was bringing up though, as far as like projections versus rankings. Like, it's a tough. I try to balance it out. You know, I mean, like if, if I hit on a couple of these guys, then it looks good, but, it, but I'm going to miss on plenty too. That's just how I would draft is kind of how I rank. But no, I, 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 no, I totally get it. I totally get not wanting to take Smith. Although even, even on the Niners, I mean, if Chip Kelly it, institutes some kind of system that works and they open it up, Torrey Smith could be a monster. Uh, you know, Michael Crabtree had good years with Kaepernick, you know, is he broken like RG three or can he be salvaged? And Gabbert was competent last year down the stretch. Uh, but anyway, I mean, you don't want that to be your team's QB to have any sort of real chance of winning, but it doesn't mean Torrey Smith can't get, get nine touchdowns and 1,200 yards on that team. No, I mean, the 2014 had 11 touchdowns. The year before that, he had 1,100 yards. I mean, he always right. drew a bunch of pass interferences. He can, he can, you know, the deep ball. I think the Niners are really rooting for Gabbert to win the quarterback job, and they're going to make Kaepernick the, the inactive third-string quarterback so they don't have to pay a weekly bonus. Right. Um, <laughs> Jed York is um, – you see Fight Club where they said – can you name one person you want to you want to fight? And I think they picked Ernest Hemingway. One of them picked. Um, uh-huh. If there's one person in the world I'd want to punch in the face, it's Jed York, um, without question. And um, uh, they, uh, I don't know, Blaine Gabbert's going to be the quarterback, and they're going to be playing from behind a lot. I would say, you know, they're projected to win four and a half games. So I mean, I guess, or sorry, five and a half. I think so. That that might bode well as far as targets, but. Um, yeah, he's the only game in town, really, so uh, I, I get what you're saying, but I just don't think the ceiling is very high. Right. Well, I, I'm not saying the ceiling is that high. I mean, I have him for seven touchdowns, you know, 955 yards. It's just how could this guy be the 70-something receiver? 70s is low. Yes, yeah, 70s is I mean, it's, a, it's just any 100-target receiver. I mean, when you're in a three-receiver league, it, it gets pretty, you know, it gets thin after a while, especially if you're in this 14-teamer. All right, so we agree on that. So the other topic I was going to say is I was doing the NFBC bidding, and my NFBC teams, my online was an okay, my – Main event is struggling, but I'll just bid on guys that I think, you know, I'll look over the list and I'll have my reasons and I'll make my bids. And it's so crazy how different my bids are from everybody else's, not just the amounts, but even the players I'm interested in. 
People were betting, bidding on Matt Andreezy. They were bidding on huge amounts on uh, who was it? Uh, not huge amounts, but like you know, hundred bucks or eighty bucks on Mike uh, Faulty Nowitz, however you say his name. And I bid on Matt Kane. Right? And, and nobody bid on Matt Kane. I bid like seventy bucks on him, and, I, and the next bid was zero, or maybe it was a dollar or something. I'm like Matt Kane has pitched well three starts in a row. It really had been two starts at the time I bid on him. And they were like, Toronto was one of them, and at Arizona was another. It wasn't like they were easy starts. And he pitches half his home games in a pitcher's paradise. So if Matt Cain, for some reason, isn't the scrub he's been the last two years, but is anything close to what he was three years ago, this guy's going to be extremely useful in a 15-team mixer. Fulton Nowitz is on a team that cannot support him. It cannot get him wins. Julio Tehran has had a great year. I was wrong about the skills part of the sport debate, looks like. But he's got one win. It's, we're at the end of May. This is going to be a problem for them all year. So I just don't understand the reasoning behind a lot of these bids and, and the, the kind of the hot ticket items. I'm like, why are you interested in this player? And I have a whole bunch of different players. I bid on Blake Swihart. I bid like 90 bucks on him or no, 79 bucks or something. And someone bid a dollar. And I'm thinking, wasn't he like the 12th catcher on the board preseason? Now he gets to play the outfield two-thirds of the time. Maybe he loses a job when Brock Holt comes back. But what if he hits? And the interesting thing about it is that the reason my bids are so disparate from their bids isn't because I'm always right, because I'm going to be wrong on a lot of these guys, but it's that I have no basis except my own research or my own gut instinct, and they have no basis except whatever the hell they're thinking. And so it's truly interesting how different they are. Contrast that to preseason rankings where everybody's seen everybody's rankings. Everyone's been in mock drafts, and we've all sort of seen which guys are slot in the third-ish round, the fourth-ish, fifth, sixth, you know, somewhere in there. There's a little movement, but not much. And everybody's rankings are basically exactly the same. You know, I mean, with a little bit of variation with one outlier here and there, but the fab bidding is totally different. And I'm thinking if the way we did fab bidding, not knowing anything, you know, you're all doing on your own was the way we drafted fantasy sports would be a lot more fun and interesting. And, and I think there'd be just more information to be gleaned from the way it plays out than there is currently. A blind auction. That would be fun. That would be interesting. Um, I totally agree with you. First of all, Matt Cain, he's looked great the last three starts. No, but an auction's worse, though, because an auction, you always have a guy who bid $1 less than you. So you are getting context. I'm talking about a draft where it's like it's your pick. No, you know who's off the board, but you don't know who's the next guy who's supposed to be who you're supposed to be considering. Right. No, I said a blind auction. Like like fab, that would be interesting. Oh, I see. You don't even know. You just, oh, I see. You all just put out your 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 prices on everybody, and yeah, they do that at like you get. Yeah, they do that at charity events. They have blind auctions. You just bid, and you don't know what the other bids but are. The problem but, is, it would be really hard to administer because in charity auction, it's like anything you bid on, you're you're on the hook for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Whereas it like would be here, it'd be like, well, I can't afford that. I you know, I can't win everybody if I'm just high on everybody. Right, right. No, I, I I'm with you in the same boat. I mean, this very last um, transaction period in in NF. Uh, BC, I, um, I bid on Chris Herman, who is whatever. He's not, not on a track right. record, but I lost Schwarber. It's a two-catcher league in a deep format. The guy's playing the outfield in a hitter's park. Um, and I bid like 65, and the next bid was like 20. I'm like, really? All right, okay. I bid on Eduardo Nunez, who's hitting leadoff for the Twins right. and playing really, really well. And I was desperate for a middle infielder with D Gordon and just me patchwork. And I bid like $165. Runner-up was 22. So this, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm I'm totally out of the uh, – uh, just totally different than the rest of my league as well. So, I mean, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. 
But I, it just – I wish we could draft with that kind of free mindset where we just don't know. You know, I'm going to – I love the FSTA draft. I didn't make it this year because I was skiing because they switched the date on me. But you go in in January and you draft a baseball team, and it's right. the Wild West. I got Chris Bryant last year in the ninth round. He was going at the 4-5 turn by the NFBC. Right. You know, Jeff does these drafts in November and baseball drafts. It's like nobody – there's no consensus. There's no ADP. It's just like everyone's thinking for themselves. It actually can transition us nicely into politics. I think a lot of that is going on. Um, right now, currently, Bernie's plus 1,000 on the betting sites, and Hillary's minus 2,500 to win the nomination, which means if you average the two, which isn't exactly how you do it, but it's rough, good rough right. estimate, 18 to 1, 17 and a half to 1, Hillary. And let's just take that number, which I don't think is necessarily accurate, but people are like, it's over, dude. Give it up. Let it go. Oh, really? 17 and a half to 1 is over? So if your team has, if your team's down three in the ninth inning, they shouldn't even try to get a hit, come back, especially when so much is at stake in the World Series game seven. They should just just call it a game. You're down three in the ninth. That's about seventeen to one, right? Maybe two two in the ninth or three in the ninth. Man, I'm first. Yeah, I'll take a page out of your book. Um, you have a seventeen to one chance of your plane crashing. Do you get on that flight? No, hell no, you don't get on that flight unless unless, as we said, it's like in Argo where you're fleeing the Iranian <laughs> right, right. mullahs or whatever that want to, you know, imprison you and do what it kill you maybe. And you, you just got to take your chances, but no, you don't get on the plane and not, it's not, it doesn't even rise to that. I mean, it, it's, you know, a team's down 14 in the fourth quarter in a playoff game. You just, you stop playing with eight minutes left. I mean, it's just, the, the argument is so stupid. Like why would give it up, dude, it's over. Well, no, it's actually literally not over. And there's, and if you think it's over, then here's what you should do. You should get every cent you own and lay the 25 to one, right? So if you have 250K in assets in your life, it's just a free 10 grand, dude. Just do right. it, right? You're not going to do it. It's crazy to do that. So you don't really think it's over. So it's just a lie, right? It's not over. Stop acting like it's over. Secondly, it's literally not over <laughs> just by the math and the delegates, right? We've talked about this. She needs like 78% to clinch. She's not going to get there. He needs 66% to overtake her. He's almost certainly not going to get there. The, the end result is going to be she's up like 100 or 200 or 250 or somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, and neither has clinched, and the superdelegates are going to have to step in to clinch it, which they will not do till July. That is just the rule. That is just the fact. Stop arguing with me on Twitter about how that's not the case. It is exactly the case. The only way she can clinch, no matter what the networks say or the lies on CNN or NBC, is if he doesn't do well in California – and she still hasn't clinched, and he just decides, okay, I'm going to concede. That's the only way that she can win before July. That's it. That's the only way. And what, uh, what about this um, whole um, uh, debate that she's turning down for California and Trump might do it with Bernie? That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, she promised a debate before California, but her strategy, and this is her people and the way they're going about it is – it's time to act like I've already won. And it's working. I mean, I have so many people on Twitter be like, dude, she's won. It's over. When it's manifestly, mathematically not over. And she's acting like that. That's a strategy. So, so the last thing Clinton wants to get into is a debate on policy. Because you look at your supporters. They never say, oh, I really like these deductibles and high copays and max out of pockets that I have to calculate when I get sick. Nobody likes that. People are like, yeah, I just want to be able to go to the doctor. You know, if I have a problem, I'll go. That's what they want. They want universal health care. She's offering Obamacare. He's, he's pushing for universal health care. Nobody prefers that. Nobody prefers Obamacare. She loses policy. So that's the last thing they want to talk about. So they smartly, if they want her to win, say, 
let's pivot to different things. At first, it was electability. That got sidelined when he's polling better against Trump, so they don't really go there anymore. Then it was things like, she's realistic. He's not going to get his stuff passed. That worked a little bit on people, but the reality is people don't care. I mean, the we want to try to get what we can, what we care about done. Whether it works or not, well, we'll see. There's no point in aiming for a compromised position from the start. So that didn't work so well. So now they're trying to say, it's over. We need unity. We need to unite. It's over. Don't waste your time. You're, you know, give it up. Let it go. That's the next thing. And in order to do that, she has to act like it's over. And she has to act like she's won. So debating him in California would be like, wait, if you've won, why are you doing this? That, and there's some risk of her yeah. getting owned in the debate. Right. And, and Trump being like, you know, he's saying that the system's rigged and he's basically coming to Bernie's defense. Now, he has to know that the polls suggest Bernie is a bunch bigger threat to him. He just assumes it's over himself, right? That's why he's saying this, right? Yeah, I think, okay, I think Trump may shoot himself in the foot. And it's really interesting because I think that, I don't know if he thinks this, but I, I think that it's, there's, a lot, there's a fair amount of evidence that Bernie would be a much tougher general election uh, foe for Trump. Mounting th evidence, yes. Th there's a lot of evidence, right? And, and, and we'll get into some of the arguments back and forth also. But everyone's so sure that Hillary's got it won. Even Bernie supporters are like, you know, she's most likely got it. And that Trump is willing to take the risk to damage Hillary before it happens, to make her look bad. So he right. may end up, if, right. he if he succeeds too much, be careful what you wish for, because he's going to lose a lot of his advantage if it's him. Hey, I, I rooted for the thunder over the Spurs. Be careful what you wish for. Right. That's right. Because you, you think, right. And it's a little different, but he, he thinks that it's so, such a done deal that anything to undermine Hillary's credibility with the, he, I think one of his, his ways of going about it, and it's not stupid, is to try to woo the uh, Bernie supporters to him. Right. Okay? Right. And sort of like help perpetuate that divide. Like it's this establishment person versus us. You know, and you are more like me on not establishment than you are with her, even though she's democratic. So, so that's so I, I think that's the whole thing about the debate. But the last thing, I don't think those betting numbers are that good. And it was it's exactly what I was talking about um, with the ADP's preseason. What happens is the group think that kicks in when everybody is in the same mocks and this and we see the ADP's that develop. We get sucked into the ADP and it's really different than all of us independently coming up with something and then averaging those things without us seeing it. I think you'd get really great rankings if you had 20 experts never look at each other's stuff, come mm. up with the rankings, and then ag aggregate those rankings. But that's not what's actually happening. If they look, it would be better than if they did look at the other's rankings. Oh, it would be way better because way, the, the yeah. wisdom of crowds is undermined by groupthink. So wisdom right. of crowds works. But totally group, agree. Groupthink's the danger, right? Because if you have a bunch of people – all from one source, believing the wrong thing, then even if they all believe it, they're not believing it independently. So they could be so wrong. And then you use the crowd as sort of a, oh, but everyone else believes it, so it must be true. But that's totally wrong. I think that's kind of what's going on here because we don't, we don't really know independently who's going to win or you know, what's, you know, what the true odds of Hillary being indicted is and, and stuff like that. And you have like the 538s declaring it over, showing polling in advance that it gives Hillary these huge leads that aren't actually borne out. There's also some uh, exit polling discrepancies where there's people have raised the question of whether there's been some tampering with the voting machines and stuff. But even if you dismiss that, I, I think that like there's a big groupthink component to the odds. So, so we have Bernie at 17.5 to one, but I think there's like a five to one chance, four to one, three to one chance that Hillary gets indicted. Like, why is that so remote? So, the indictment possibility has got to be just a small portion of the 17 and a half to one, right? That's, or, or maybe a significant portion, but it can't be more than 17 and a half to one because assuming she gets indicted, he wins. 
So they must think the indictment's 20 to 1, 40 to 1. So it's some portion of that 17 to 1. Right. So, I mean, what are they, what are you, nobody seems to think he's gonna, she's going to get indicted, but why? On what basis? Uh, you tell me. I don't know. I, I think what they've done, and we talked about this, is she just acts like everything's cool. She acts like everything's cool because that's what you do. You act like it's nothing. But did you see the article that came out in the New York Times yesterday? Um, no. You didn't see what the inspector general for the uh, State Department said? No. That she totally lied, that she had no permission to use that server. That oh, was no yeah, yeah, okay. I saw headlines about dealing with the email stuff. Yes, I saw headlines. She never asked. Check. There was no record of her asking permission. She never right. was expressly granted permission. And had she asked, they would have said no. And that's – it totally contradicts her explanation the whole time. I had permission. It was allowed. It was just all false. Right. Okay, so you're um, – you should probably – Talk about your article you wrote this past week, talking about you know the the fearfulness of Trump becoming president. Oh man, and, um, a lot of editing I, in this podcast already. It was going to be a long one. Okay, well, I'll do this quickly. Um, so my point was, you read the article, right? Yeah, and I passed it along to a couple people, and I, I'll come with you with the counter. But go ahead, okay. First, my my point was kind of if if I'm going to vote for, if Hillary Clinton wins, and I don't necessarily think she will, but she might. Um, and although I cannot allow that possibility to manifest in my world, so I'm <laughs> denying it as long as possible until it just knocks down my door. But if she were to win, she needs to make a better case than vote for me because Trump's so scary. You know, that's what the Democrats have done for a long time. Vote for my shitty, bullshit, compromised policies where I'm, we murder people abroad and we back up Wall Street and we do all this terrible stuff because if you don't, it's going to be even worse. And I'm like, that's not good enough. Um, I, I the, you know, the, in order for that to be the case, Trump has to be so uniquely scary. And that's what everybody seems to be saying. All these pundits, I have a lot of links in there to people saying, we cannot let Trump win. It'll be disaster. It'll be the end of everything. And I'm trying to understand why they think that. I mean, Bush and Cheney were fucking atrocious, but even in their second time after they devastated Iraq, found no WMDs, nobody was like, never Bush, never Cheney. The mainstream media didn't unify against him. The, Trump said a lot of horrible stuff, but to me, compared to like saying bad stuff about Muslims, which is terrible, and I don't, I'm not defending it at all. Imagine actually bombing them, bombing their countries, and now at least half a million, mostly Muslim civilians in Iraq are dead. And then she voted for that. And then, and then Libya is a disaster. Tens of thousands are dead. And suddenly, you know, his words, which are again, they're odious. They're not. I don't agree with them, but that's bad. But words versus deeds and yet they have no problem with her already having advocated for iraq and then libya and then she tried to advocate for syria but obama put the kibosh on it wisely i mean who knows if the next one is iran or or, or what the next country is so you know people are so scared of him because he says a lot of really stupid shit but why are they not scared of all these other people who've done a lot of horrible shit so you know john mccain goes on these sunday talk shows this is the man who wanted to put Sarah Palin, one heartbeat from a 71-year-old man, away from the presidency. And yet the dude still has a job in the Senate, and he's still respected. So these pundits who will respect John McCain, but they're so scared of Trump suddenly, I don't get it. I, I need to see more evidence of why he's so uniquely scary to say, you know, I'm going to forfeit my vote and all my principles and just say, I'll hold my nose and vote for this horrible woman who's done all this damage. So that, that was the point of my article. If you have evidence... I'm all ears, and, and maybe by the general election, I'll be persuaded that he's that dangerous. But I don't, I don't see it yet.
Yeah, no, I understand exactly everything you're saying there. Um, just the calendar would, would, would be quite obvious, and it would just be that Trump hasn't had the opportunity to do these things yet, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's so that can't be held against him. He's just it's just not, it's a blank slate. It's, he's he hasn't done it. He's said a lot of stupid stuff, but, you know, he hasn't done it. These people have done stuff. If I threaten you and threaten violence and threaten all this terrible stuff to you, you might be scared of me. But if someone else has actually murdered people, <laughs> you might be more scared of that person, even if you never said a word. Yeah. No, I get you. I hear you. And, and I, I mean, you. you know, it's 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 just. People don't, people take it for granted that bombing countries for whatever reason they give, these are not countries that are attacking us. This isn't like World War II or something like that, right? This isn't like Pearl Harbor. This is countries over on the other side of the world that have crazy stuff going on. And we go in and we like bomb a whole bunch of their people. You know, like that's just taken as like a normal thing that the U.S. does. Nobody's alarmed by that. But Trump, he's very scary. Why? Because he says very scary stuff. I mean, I don't, I'm not agreeing with the stuff he's saying. I'm just saying I don't, I don't see a, a very strong case that I'm going to give my vote to somebody who's transparently corrupt because this other guy's so scary. You better show me why he's so scary to, to get my vote if it's just going to be based on that. No, I totally understand what you're saying. None of it makes sense, frankly. Yeah, I mean, actions are, have already happened and people aren't as worked up versus stuff theoretical and then on the flip side, Trump says some of the craziest shit you'll ever hear a politician say, and yet he ran away with a Republican nominee. So well, I, I really can't make sense of any of it. I also think that you know they're both totally full of crap. But it's better when a guy is full of crap saying crazy stuff that you're like, yeah, he's probably not going to build a wall or keep Muslims out. Like he's full of crap. Whereas she's saying she's full of crap, but she'll say occasionally good stuff like we're going to rebuild the infrastructure or we're going to take it to Wall Street. I want to be tough on Wall Street. But you're like, she's full of crap. I can't believe that. Right. Whereas like he's full of crap saying bad stuff. That's actually good. It's not good that he's saying bad stuff, but it's good that he's not Ted Cruz who says bad stuff and probably means it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's better that not that Ted Cruz isn't full of crap, but he's like an ideologue. He's committed. Trump doesn't give a shit. Trump has no principles. Neither does Hillary. But if one of them is saying bad stuff and one of them saying good stuff, you got to take both not at face value. And that actually helps him because she says all the normal stuff and some very bad stuff. Also, she's, you know, she's pretty hawkish, but anyway. Yeah, no, we all know you're a big you were you were a big Ted Cruz donator. We don't need to rehash <laughs> we don't need to rehash Ted, that. Put but, it this um, way. The only person I was willing to vote for Hillary, no matter what, without her having to make a case, it was if Ted Cruz <laughs> was the nominee. I even said that to my friend. I said, I despise Hillary. I think she's a terrible person, but if it's her versus Ted Cruz, she's got my vote. That was the only person that like hands down I wouldn't even investigate the matter further. Right. Now it's sort of like, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but I may just withhold my vote. And the dumbest thing anyone says is not voting is a vote for Trump. Oh, really? So if you're a Trump supporter and then you decide not to vote, is that a vote for Hillary? Right? It's like not voting is not a vote for somebody. Don't make it into something it isn't. You could say that for both sides. Not voting is a vote for whoever you don't like. Right? So right. that's just ridiculous. It's, 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 it's much worse to vote for the other person than not to vote. But you really need to think of it a little bit in game theory terms and say, look, if you, if you give this person your vote, then they're never going to cater to you. You're, they're never going to have a progressive candidate because they got your vote. What do they need? Why do they need to listen to you? For all the bluster and all the whatever, you're still just getting in line. And only if you don't get in line do they have to move toward your negotiating position. A lot of people disagree with what you're saying there, but I actually do agree with you. I, I'm actually, I actually do agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you're going to get a progressive candidate if you, if you vote for the non-progressive one. You're just validating the strategy. Yeah.
All right. Well, All right. we've gone long enough. I need to start uh, drinking and preparing for this Warriors game. All because right. You, you I, get going. I, is this a call for help? You want me to talk you out of it or no? Uh, this isn't like a sponsor call, is it? I don't know. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen in this series? I want tonight's uh, prediction and the rest of the series. Well, it might be the rest of the series tonight. I, it's hard for me because I don't, I don't know it that well. I just, from what I saw, they're just totally broken. But I'm going to say they win at home. Here's the thing. I think there's like a good chance they lose tonight and just there's something wrong with them and that's the end. Right, right, right. But if they win tonight, they've got a good chance to win the series. I'll just say that. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. But if they win, I think they're like close to 50-50 to win the series. If they lose, yeah. I'm going to say there's 0% to win the series. All right, I say they win tonight and lose game six. That's what I'll say. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. If they lose tonight, they're not going to win the series. Yeah, you might be right about that. All right, okay. All right, good talking to you, man. We'll, uh, we'll All right. next. I'm going to All Mexico right. tomorrow, by the way. I'll be back. In time for next week's podcast, though. Oh, what are you doing there? Drug uh, it's run? It's Heather's mom's 70th birthday, so we're all going to Cabo. So it should be chill. I'm kind of dreading. I dread all the travel and stuff, but once we're there, it'll be nice. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. Good times. All right, all man. Right, take it easy. All right, talk to you later. All right, all right, bye. This podcast is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD. That's RWPod. And sign up now. Special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription, the $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPod. That's more than $60 in value for just $25. Don't forget to use my code RWPod. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. It's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. They're going to kill the love of my life. If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13.